0: Sacred Pause with Jessica Winderall. Hey yogis, Jessica here and just letting you know that for the upcoming Atman Yoga School programs, we do have a few spaces left in our Trondheim training that starts in October and we're about halfway full almost for our uh, next Oslo teacher training that starts in January. So if you're interested in that, jump on. On it. Also, this is the last uh, training that I'll be doing in Trondheim until 2021. So if you live in northern Norway and you think you want to join us, then make sure to get on this coming training in October. So if you have any questions or want to register for either of these, send me an email at hello at AtmanYogaSchool.com or check out program descriptions and more info at www.AtmanYogaSchool.com. All right, that's it. That's all. On to this week's episode. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica, and on this rainy, stormy Oslo afternoon, I have the pleasure of recording with Tendai Angela Jomga in Trondheim. So, welcome, Tendai. Thank you so much for having me it's an honor and a pleasure I used to
1: sit in Zimbabwe and listen to your podcast and and admire you so this it's a dream come true
0: oh thank you that is so nice and yeah and you know you're up to some really inspiring things and you're joining the yoga community here in Norway and um, so I'm just thrilled to be able to sit down and talk with you on my podcast um, I think that there's a lot of interesting things that you're up to that people are going to be really curious to hear about. So, ah, oh, and and you're a foreign or an, uh, an expat like me who married into Norway yes. for love. Yes. <laughs>
1: love, love brought me to Norway. He just like stole my heart
0: away and was like, "Come on over," and I was like, "Okay, yeah." No worries. <laughs> so just a little bit back- love that tends to take you, hey. different countries. It's so true. Yep. And that's literally every single person I've met in Norway who is from a different country is here because they fell in love with a Norwegian. I haven't, I have not yet yet met anybody uh, who's come here for a different reason, which is really interesting. It's true. And I'm laughing a little bit as I'm recording because my dog Mimi is literally standing on top of my table and she's trying to get (laughs) My bowl of blueberries that I've got here. And she's <laughs> literally standing in front of my uh, microphone and camera. <laughs> Give Mimi me, me the blueberries. Give Mimi me, me the blueberries. Yeah. Oh, my did gosh. You, did you pick them yourself? Uh, yeah. They're from our garden. Oh, lovely.
1: Yeah. I love that. That's what, that's what I love about Norway. I love the idea that you can go out and pick your berries. You pick your mushrooms. Every single time I'm on a hike with uh, my fiancé going to be husband, he always says, "Oh, tonight, look, this is these are the chanterelle mushrooms," and he's always teaching me about the berries and mushrooms. Yeah. So I say that I'm never going to have a shortage of jam and never going to have a shortage of mushroom soup.
0: Oh yeah, it's it's true. It's amazing. I things are so beautiful that grow here, and um, and it's awesome too because you know that they're really natural in the way that they're growing, uh, which can't always be said for. Other areas around the world. So if you're on that hike, you can just grab a berry and pop it in your mouth and not worry about it. Exactly. Not even worry. Like grab onto a plum. It's, it's perfect. It
1: feels beautiful. I was actually at a dinner party last night and one of um, his friends, well, our friends, was telling us that they went on a hike um, the whole way up. They just kept picking blueberries. And he said that towards the top, they got up and they were like, oh, we don't even need to have our food anymore. Because we had so many blueberries.
0: Oh, yeah. There's so many blueberries. (laughs) You'll get... (laughs) Mimi, eat those blueberries, my love. Yeah. Have them. She's so funny. But, um, yeah, well, so you're a yoga teacher. And I know you did your certification in Bali. And then you've bounced around quite a bit around the world doing different things. And then you ended up back in Zimbabwe fairly recently where you're from. And you started teaching there. So what was your experience teaching yoga in Zimbabwe? As you, did you go directly back after your certification or did you go somewhere else? I went directly
1: back after my certification. So I was in Zimbabwe for I think it was about a year or two before I decided to do my yoga teacher training in Bali. Before that, I had been in Australia studying law and global and international studies. I then went to Italy to go do an internship in social entrepreneurship and development, and then found my way to Trondheim, where I was also again in a workshop to deal with social entrepreneurship and development, but more especially the innovative side of what social engineering is. Uh, I was part of a group called, festival called ISFIT which is International Students Festival in Trondheim. That's where I ended up meeting my fiance. Throughout this whole period, I had always been doing yoga because in 2003, this is where the story gets a bit bouncy. But remember, we can only connect the dots looking backwards. So bear with me. (laughs) In 2003, my mother slipped discs in her C7. And I just thought, okay, let me go along to help my mom not realizing that I was being hypnotized as well by yoga because as much as it was my mother that had a physical injury, I had had an emotional injury by seeing my pillar of strength completely um, fall or feeling that she wasn't strong enough. So we tend to not take that into account that yes, somebody else can be hurting or have a physical injury next to you. But if you care about this person, you are also going through some form of emotional trauma. So yoga brought me well-being and it brought me emotional well-being. When I decided to do the yoga teacher training in Bali, it felt very serendipitous because it felt as though I was called towards yoga. I applied for a karma scholarship, actually. And at the end of the conversation, my teacher said to me, I'm going to offer you a full scholarship. And I was like, what? Really? Is that a thing? And she then said that there's students that uh, was part of the alumni that would pay for my tickets from Bali, from Zimbabwe to Bali, return. And that is mind-blowing to me. It's absolutely mind-blowing that I didn't know these people at all, at all, just talking. And she asked me what I wanted to do with my practice. And I said, I would like to give it back to my community. Part of the scholarship program at Deal with Roots of Yoga was that I um, was that I teach ten free yoga classes to a group of people. So I chose a group of women with endometriosis, and as soon as I got back after my certification, I went straight in. I taught a group of ladies ten free classes. Actually, I think it ended up being like fifteen classes um um women with endometriosis yoga just to really alleviate the pain but also give them tools of meditation and exercise about how to meditate and find stillness with pain because that is what I saw my mother go through mm-hmm. back in 2003 it felt as though i needed to pass on and give every single thing back the same way as karma yoga it almost feels as though teaching in zimbabwe is my was my space of giving back everything that I had been given in just a yoga teacher training
0: Mm, that's teaching
1: about without it's 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 meaningful and purposeful
0: Mm. yeah no that's so beautiful and I love when I hear stories about that because that's yoga in action and Everything in that story was an example of how yoga should be and how it should work and consideration for fellow humans. And okay, well, if you're in a position to help somebody or to offer a scholarship or to pay it forward through paying for airfare for somebody who you know is legitimately and honestly going to take the training seriously and then also pay it forward in their way of teaching. Um, And then you went back to Zimbabwe and you did just that. And so I just, it's amazing um, to hear that. And are you still in contact with the school that you did your training with, or does that kind of go away naturally with time?
1: No, I am. Well, it goes away naturally with time. But if, if in contact, you mean, am I always stalking them and seeing what they are up to? <laughs> yes. And there is an email here and there, but it hasn't been for a past, the past year, actually. I wish I actually was in more contact with roots of yoga
0: mm. so then when you went back to Zimbabwe and you were ready to start teaching and you did the ten classes with women suffering from endometriosis, what happened next did you how did you continue teaching
1: during the time when I was teaching the women with endometriosis, it felt as though i was i was afraid I, I I have to admit I was afraid to teach I was afraid to teach yoga, although I had been practicing yoga, because I always knew I wanted to teach yoga from a space of honesty and integrity with my heart really out there. And I didn't see that in Zimbabwe. I, I didn't really see people teaching with, with emotional stories or really delving deeper into the psyche or the anatomy of spirituality. I always saw that it was more targeted towards stretching on a mat or physical exercise. And that might've also come from my own sheltered experience with teachers. And so I was afraid to actually get myself out there. I began teaching still with um, the women at endometriosis. I then got into teaching at the yoga room at Queen of Hearts. I asked them if I could have a slot and began teaching three times a week and mm. um, after that, I, my mother, who is a massage therapist, was teaching, was giving massage sessions at Emerald Hill Children's Home, um, and a school for the deaf. So, as she was doing those massages, she suddenly thought, "Oh, well, my daughter's a yoga teacher. Why doesn't she um, come in for an interview to the children's so home? Maybe she can do something." And I was also really, really. In love with everything to do with social entrepreneurship and development, so I knew that even if I wasn't practicing yoga, I was going to be doing something in terms of social innovation or development. So as I then um, spoke to, I went in for the interview with this amazing lady named Laureen and she said, Why "Would you want to do yoga at a children's home?" And I said, "Because I that children need the support to go through trauma, and." When we think about it in a children's home, these are children between the ages of three and twenty, and if you if the trauma has occurred in the dependency or informative stages of that life, then that becomes an impediment. And the, my idea is that why should it be? If we should be dealing with human flourishing, we should have a holistic children's home system, and I believe that yoga and wellness can help do that. So I began teaching at Immortal Children's Home. First of all, with the children, and then I soon realized that I also needed to teach the staff members as well. So then I began teaching the staff members, as well as doing still my three classes a week at the yoga room at Queen of Hearts, as well as um, private sessions with different clients. Hmm. So it felt very full on.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) I threw threw myself into it. (laughs) Which is what you have to do. Um, You know, I think what you said at first is so common where you graduate from teacher training and then there's like this fear that sets in like, oh my gosh, am I good enough? Am I going to get a job? Is anybody going to trust me to be their teacher? And the only way to get in is to do it. You just have to jump in and force yourself to teach. And then you find that actually quite rapidly you begin to develop confidence. And it's true. And I love what you said
1: about trust is that more so it's about you trusting yourself because every single thing will, will spawn on from how you view yourself and how you hold energy. You have to trust in your own practice and you have to trust that you will deliver, that you will deliver honestly what a yoga practice means to you in that moment. It doesn't have to be a yoga practice that has come from elsewhere that feels so strange, but what is honest to you? And can you trust yourself to teach that? From that, other people will start to trust you as well. And they start to trust that you can guide them. Trust is the element of the teacher and student relationship.
0: Oh, absolutely. I I completely agree with that. And I love how you phrased it too so eloquently, just that when we are able to teach from a place that's very heart-centered and very authentic to us, all of a sudden our voice becomes clearer and people, they understand that there is that emotional element behind what we're saying, that we believe what we're teaching and that we can see the spiritual teachings underneath it, not just the inhale, lift your right leg, exhale, low Mm -hmm. lunge,
1: (laughs) Exactly.
0: Yeah, bringing in more of that spiritual element. And, you know, when we say spiritual element, it doesn't have to be this scary woo-woo, oh my gosh, what does she mean by spiritual? Um, All I mean by spiritual is infused with spirit. And spirit can just be simply a connection to source or that spark of the divine within. And when that shines through, even if you're a new teacher, even if you're a little unsure of yourself, Trusting that you have that power that comes only from within will make you a powerful teacher.
1: Exactly. And that's the power of yoga, is that that source is actually made strong, that connection to source is made stronger from stillness. Mm. And that is where spirituality is able to ribbon from. Is that spirituality is within every single person. I agree with you. It's not some who you think. Spirituality is how you feel when you feel good. Mm-hmm. What is the vibration? When you genuinely feel happy and okay. And you feel like the world is in alignment. That is what spirituality is. And we all have had those moments.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And we could also say being in the flow of grace or in that flow mm-hmm. state or when things just seem to click. Um, that mm-hmm. is a state of yoga. Again, yoga being so much more than just the asana or the shapes that we make on the mat it's everything from how we show up in the world for others to how we show up in the world for ourselves the way in which we navigate the experience of being human is yoga exactly you know and this is what gets me thinking because in zimbabwe yoga
1: isn't yoga isn't as prominent or people look at yoga as witchcraft or i've had people say to me Oh, today I want to start yoga, but I need to talk to my, my priest first. I need to talk to my pastor first to see if they will agree. And when I look back at yogic practices or when I look back at African spirituality or even African proverbs, I come into a word that is known as unu or hunu. It's a Shona word, which is, which is part of the Bantu language. And it means, are you familiar with Ubuntu?
0: No, mm -mm, no, I'm not. I know you've mentioned it to me before, but I don't, I'm not familiar with it.
1: Mm. So Ubuntu is coming together. It's a community doing things all together, but UNU or HUNU is a Shona word, which is a concept that means it's like a social philosophy, which embodies virtues that celebrate mutual responsibility and mutual assistance, trust. Um, self-reliance, respect for others, and ethical values. And even as I say this, that sounds to me like the eight limbs of yoga. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that sounds like the ethical conduct and living a meaningful and purposeful life. So when there's that disconnect between, oh, yoga is um, from India, or it's only of the West, or it's only of this, and that's why Zimbabweans or Africans tend to stay away from it, I really want to bring up the, the fact that actually, no, this has been part of our lives forever. The ethos and attitude, which influence the way that we participate in different departments of our lives, that is the conceptualization of a human being and how you navigate your way through this life with that flow and with grace mm-hmm. and seeing that you are here and that you can be present and you can trust it. That's you a can trust source.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's so amazing. And it's just peeling back this ideology that yoga has to be or can only be this one thing. And, you know, this is a really hot topic in (laughs) the yoga industry right now about what is authentic yoga? What is true yoga? And certain lineages, certain teachers placing claim that they're the only ones who teach or practice yoga, quote unquote. And, you know, of course we can say okay well the eight limbs of yoga are specifically uh yogic philosophy coming from a very sacred text but if you take just what you'd said the essence of that we see that all around the world in so many different cultures and so many different practices and i love that because it just to me i find that so comforting because there's more than one way to get in contact with spirit and I agree with what you said earlier also that the best way to do that is by cultivating practices of stillness because then you can actually hear that inner wisdom. You can feel that vibration that only comes from an internal place rather than being so distracted by external happenings.
1: Mm. And how many of us are walking around so distracted by external happenings? We react to each and everything that is happening surrounding us and it most of the time, it doesn't have anything to do with us. We are latching ourselves and attaching ourselves into those circumstances and attaching ourselves into this chaos.
0: Well, that's, that's the big question, right? <laughs> How do we calm the fluctuating thought forms of the mind? And uh, oh, yes, it's such a simple question, it's and it's so difficult to put into practice.
1: Oh yes, it's difficult to put into practice. <laughs> that is true because we can all say we, we and we, I feel like we are all hotter like on our on our tongues where we say yoga is the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind. Yeah, and then you sit there and you say, "Okay, how do I practice that? Yeah, how do I cultivate that in my own life?"
0: Oh man, yeah. I mean, luckily we do have a lot of tools to help us with that. Um, but you know, one thing I'm curious about is teaching yoga in Africa and some of the, uh, cultural thoughts and perspectives on yoga, where you said it's kind of, people are a little wary of it and they're a little unsure about what it is that you're doing. What, first of all, my question is what's the main style of yoga that people practice in Zimbabwe? Is there one?
1: They mainly practice vinyasa.
0: Oh, really? There is a lot of vinyasa. Yes. Oh, Wow. And do people, do they get trained in Zimbabwe or they, I know you left, do most of the teachers, do they leave Zimbabwe to go do trainings or do they have teachers running schools in Zimbabwe?
1: There is no teacher training school in Zimbabwe at all. Many, every single person actually has had to
0: leave and get trained elsewhere. Wow. And there's not even that many teachers, right? Exactly. There are 33 teachers to date. (laughs) Which is amazing. Like really
1: hard out of of a country of 12 million people yes 33 yoga teachers
0: wow and how many yoga studios
1: there are Oof, that one's a tough one but I think that there are three well three to five Mm -hmm. yoga studios that are work that are that are generally busy in Harare and in Biloweo, I'm not so sure about the yoga community there, but I know that we have a yoga group and it seems that mm, the yoga studio that I work at, which is um, Queen of Hearts, uh, the yoga room, that is the main one as well as a new one that has just popped up in, in town.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's hard for me to wrap my head around that there's so few hmm. teachers and all that I see when I hear that is opportunity um, in terms of coming in and being a conduit or a catalyst for the message of yoga. And the best way that I personally know how to do that is by example. Um, Mm. you know, and I know that you're doing the exact same thing that when you get out there, even when you're a little nervous, even when you're a little unsure, and even when perhaps there's even pushback or Mm. discrimination, um, mm-hmm. staying the course because you're convicted so strongly about the power of yoga and meditation to change lives in a positive manner, then there's nothing to stop you. You just you keep going and you stay with that. And um, that's what I think is really inspiring. And when people perhaps can remove some of the mysticism of the practice and be like, oh, actually, oh, it's just about breathing. It's about mm-hmm calming my mind maybe putting my phone down for five minutes <laughs> maybe you know not being so caught up in the external dramas and just being there in my body I think mm-hmm. that's beautiful mm-hmm.
1: and that's one thing that I, I feel like I have always wanted to bring into my practice is to show that yoga isn't something that you're going into and you're only chanting in a class I have had people say to me "Tindai, do you chant in classes If if so we're not coming wow heard people say too, yes
0: well i think I people say yeah people say that in the states though too oh yeah <laughs> it's if some...
1: you chant i'm not coming yeah and actually
0: there's there are studios in the u.s and i'm sure other places as well um where you're not allowed to chant mm. or teach yoga mm. philosophy
1: mm. really even teach yoga philosophy
0: yeah yeah where they want to keep wow. it just really streamlined in a, a fitness direction um but then this is this is you can have
1: yogic philosophy with a fitness regime because that is what it is it is about fitness for your physical body and for your mind and for your emotional well-being and for spirit so isn't wouldn't it be better to have all three as a system rather than only with the physical body because, I mean, you always get the benefits of yoga, even if it is just a physical practice. But it's even better when you teach the philosophy.
0: I agree. 100%. It, it, can't, it can't be
1: separated.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, the marketing machine and capitalism and commercialism has pared it down to just being, you know, promoting yoga as a way to get a six pack and a, you know, firm and to able butt. to be bend
1: yourself into a pretzel.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny because then the argument for that is, well, it's at least we're getting them in the door and that's the the starting point for people to enter yoga. And then perhaps they'll get hooked on the physical practice and then become curious about the spiritual, um, mm-hmm. which I totally disagree with. I think yoga philosophy should be taught in the very first class from day one. Mm-hmm. And yes. that's what we do at the Atman Yoga School is it's very yes. much about that. And, and we teach a pretty dynamic power vinyasa style of yoga at the Atman Yoga School. So I'm right there with you. Like we can have both. <laughs> They're and not- It makes it more powerful.
1: It's a powerful tool when you have the philosophy. I love that Atman has this wide range. I love that Atman has been able to encapsulate um, every like a whole package that has so much meaning and power. Because when I look at Atman, I haven't seen a yoga school like anything that Atman is. I haven't.
0: Oh, so I'm thank so you. proud
1: of you. I'm so happy. And I'm so happy to be a part of Atman. And I'm just proud of you. I feel like I, I'm inspired in all areas when I look at you.
0: Oh, thank you so much. That's, that's so awesome. And, you know, that's, I think, a testament to the power of when you live your dharma, and you are in alignment with what you're supposed to be doing and staying open to the teachings of yoga and allowing yoga to infuse every single area of your life, then, you know, my belief is only good things are possible. Um, Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Only good things are possible. When you live from a place that's open hearted and compassionate and considerate and thinking about the greater good, not just yourself, um, it opens the door. And, you know, especially in Scandinavian countries, too. Actually, you and I talked about this yesterday. where it's interesting, and a lot of the Norwegians that I talk to, or Norwegians who come to my school, would agree with this statement, and they've they've said it to me also. Where, you know, in Norway sometimes culturally it can be a little bit colder, a little bit more closed off. People go out of their way to actually avoid uh, human inter- interaction, and mm-hmm. it's such an ironic mentality because at our core as humans, we crave connection. We crave feeling seen and feeling like we have something in common with the person sitting next to us on the bus. And I think the Atman Yoga School and yoga, of course, in general, opens the door for bigger dialogue. And when it's just like the meaning of namaste, when Mm. I see that place in you and I am in that place too, then we are one. And Mm. I think that's breaking down barriers and removing some of the stigmas and being a little bit of a trailblazer in terms of being like, "Hey, I'll be the first one to say, let's get more real about our emotional yes. body. Let's get more real about yes. who we are." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and not and and again, that
1: then will stem into not standing up in a in in a bus if you feel like somebody has just come to sit next to you in in Scandinavian countries because that is the norm where if somebody comes to sit next to you on a bus, it's like, what? Why is somebody even coming here? Or, or even asking for directions. Yeah, I have this funny story of my uh, my fiancé, somebody asked him for directions. And he said tonight, I looked at this person and said, you're holding a phone, you've got Google Maps, you can find your own way there. He said, that's what he thought. And I said to him, that is such that is so cold. And that's just the Scandinavian way of doing it is that you don't really talk to each other. You don't really ask about emotional well-being of a person. It feels like that you're touching on a taboo. Yeah. And that, again, that is the same way as in Zimbabwe, I guess, is that whenever you ask somebody, are you okay? People just tend to say, yeah, I'm fine. Or there's an idea that I can't break in front of a person or I can't, I can't let another person know my dirty laundry. But it isn't dirty laundry. It is you speaking from a space of honesty because as much as we will be thinking we're all one love we also have one pain we have the pain body if you have experienced disappointment i have also experienced disappointment i've experienced grief and we can help each other through that what does betrayal feel like in your body let's talk through that but those are subjects that don't come up in real life and i think this is where yoga and and even atman are able to assist in the social engineering of how can you get real with emotions? How can you get real with the person so that you can learn from them so that you know how to navigate life better and have the tools for vulnerability?
0: Mm. Yeah. And it starts, I think, by making a safe space. Um, that's something that's really important to me is keeping holding space and creating a community where it feels safe to be vulnerable, to be real, to let your guard down a little bit and not worry about being judged or the shoulds or, oh no, what's somebody going to think about what I'm doing? And, you know, the majority of our life is spent in that space where we're constantly worried about like, okay, well, where am I going to go to university? And then what kind of a job am I going to get? And then where am I going to live? And can I buy a bigger house? And there's like so much of this external stuff that's clouding our ability to be in connection to source. And so when we can come into a community where it feels safe to like drop that facade and just be like, hey, you know what? I'm really struggling. Or you know what? My only lifeline right now is coming to yoga. And Mm -hmm. that's what I think is so beautiful because that's the start of the transformative practice or process rather. And for for me, yoga is the way to do that.
1: I love that you said um, the space where you can just walk into a class and you can be yourself and just say I'm really struggling. I'm known to, I'm the yoga teacher where people say you need to bring your tissue to a class <laughs> because I will make you cry. And I always say I'm not making you cry. I think that you're just coming into a space of being honest with yourself. I don't feel as a teacher that that we need to even force that but it comes so naturally in that if you have that safe space and that safe environment where you have created for people to walk into and really break down and cry without any judgment while still going through a practice that is beautiful um i found that even whilst teaching um it's it's one of the most honest places that i am as well because I think students feed off of my en- of energy whenever you are teaching. The same as in any classroom, is that once the teacher is feeling like they are comfortable in sharing or holding space and being strong within that space, your students are able to delve into poses deeper. They're able to breathe easier. At the end of a class, you are supposed to feel more like yourself, mm-hmm. more than anything else. As much as we are the teacher's, They also have people who have teachers within. Students, you have a teacher within and allow that that teacher to also come through and ask yourself, what is is this pain that I'm feeling in my chest as I'm going into Chakrasana? What is this that I'm feeling as I'm going into this pose? Because your body is always talking to you. Hmm. Your body will always keep score. And this comes from the emotional side. I worry about the numbing that we do towards our emotional bodies. When we say, oh, no, that's okay. Hmm. I'm fine. Oh, I'll be good. Oh, don't worry about that. Where are you storing
0: all of those words? Uh Oh, truth bomb right there. Oh, man. Yeah, or even not saying anything at all. Where are you storing it? And it will
1: come out at some point. I would actually tell people, run into a yoga class. The same way that you said that, yes, yoga teachers create that space for you, run into a yoga class if you're feeling any form of discomfort within your body. Because all of that discomfort has culminated from a space of emotions, Mm -hmm. from the emotional body, from the thoughts that you have, the thoughts that you think about yourself. How do you view yourself? How do you talk to yourself? Everything is stored in our bodies.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, that's exactly what Ayurveda says, too. And if we repress or we uh, ignore emotions, then they will eventually accumulate and create toxin- toxic buildup in the body and that's become physical disease. And so, exactly. yeah, if we're it, not... It creates blockages, tension, and
1: disease within the body. So I wanted to actually ask you this. How do you create space?
0: Mm-hmm. You know, the number one thing I always try to have at the forefront um, in my teaching is compassion. Mm. And I don't always, I actually rarely probably even say that. But when I show up, I'm 100% present to my students, to that experience, and um, I try to see beyond what somebody says. Because words can be just like you said, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, words can be so either very powerful, or they can be very uh, defunct, like there's just no power behind it. And I think seeing somebody looking them in the eye, observing their body language, and having a calm and grounded energy myself makes people feel like they can trust me. And, you know, I want to be clear, too, this isn't Something that um, is at all in any form of manipulation or any form of trying to, you know, I'm not a therapist, like I'm not trained to mm, be a counselor, exactly. anything like exactly. that. I'm not a
1: psychologist.
0: Yeah. I'm not trained
1: to be a counselor. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but but I come at it from a direction of human to human mm. and drawing on my experiences of pain and trauma and heartache and um the very raw emotions that we all feel and you know i've done i'm not going to say the work because i think that's really uh, a generalization i've done some work <laughs> in the scheme of life um i mean i've done a lot of work but i'm going to say some work uh because i think it takes lifetimes to sift through and sit with this whole process of yoga and for me that's where i get a lot of my confidence actually, is trusting the process, trusting that I know I have done to the best of my ability, the work for myself, I've lived my yoga. And Mm -hmm. so that allows me to then become, um, there's a word I love to use, and it's um, dispassionate. Mm -hmm. So in general, I think having a lot of passion is, is wonderful and a lot of enthusiasm and passion for the practice. But When we are in a teacher to student setting, the way that I like to try and hold space is from a very compassionate yet Mm -hmm. dispassionate place where Mm -hmm. I'm not getting pulled into the drama and, and and I can hold my own self while still holding space for them. So it's a boundary and there's no getting, and I'm really strong with my boundaries, um, there's no getting pulled into you have to be
1: we work with people We, we have to be yeah there's no way that you can't have a boundary whilst working with different energies and other sources
0: right and then of course there's the power dynamic if you're the teacher and they're the student and and then it comes back to ethics and there's so many other things at play there but you know for me it comes back to this idea of the best way that i can be of service is if i can from a very human perspective, see somebody and and have the intention to see them. That's my intention every time I deal with a student. And um, you know, I I know a lot of my students listen to this podcast, and so I'm sure many of them would agree. Um, because teacher training, in particular, since that's the majority of the teaching I do, uh, teacher training can be very intense, and it can bring up a lot of emotion, and it can be um, a time of of a lot of change and transformation. And so holding space for that is a little different in my experience than holding space in your weekly class. Um, yeah. And so I've had to work very hard and very intentionally to be able to do that for 10 hours a day, three days in a row. Or sometimes it's um, in my 300 hour, it's they're 10 day intensives. So oh, wow. yeah, so it's we're there for um, nine hours a day for 10 days in a row. And you know, being, being present and being compassionate, but also having a really uh, big boundary. And that's, that's the dispassion part is it's not like, Oh, I don't care. No, I care deeply, but I can only care deeply and be of service. If I can separate their energy, their drama, their story from my energy, my drama, my story. And Mm -hmm. so that's how I try to hold space.
1: Mm -hmm. I love that. That's beautiful. And it it and it it's an ode to to, um, what's that word? It's an ode to, to boundaries. An ode to how we need boundaries in this world. Because not even just with um, with students, but then how do you keep boundaries with your family? How do you keep boundaries with 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 your love life? How do you keep boundaries in all sorts of relationships that you have?
0: Exactly. Everything
1: that you do within that space or on or off the mat will culminate into all areas of your life no about how you actually use those tools
0: exactly and it's you know also the thing i need i think we should talk about too is the fact that this is a practice and some days we're really good at it and we're like wow okay i did a good job i held that boundary and then other days Maybe we weren't so strong, or we we got pulled into something else. And that's where for me coming back to the idea of compassion, too, that this practice is meant to be experiential. It's not just theoretical. And so, in order for us to fully learn it, we have to make mistakes and we have to see these quote unquote setbacks. Um, but they're not setbacks. Uh, everything that we learn on this canvas of life is part of yoga, and so mm-hmm. And the that, way then
1: we look at time as well, because yeah. if we look at things as, as though you're taking in a setback, that means that you're living your life in a very linear manner. However, within a yoga practice, or when you delve into Ayurveda, um, they tell you, actually even African spirituality, it is that yoga, well, it is that time is not linear. It's that time is simultaneous, that each and everything you're seeing it from each face, that it, time is like a jewel and that your life is like a jewel, that you have to see each facet to understand the beauty of it.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, and that's what scientists say also. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so everything, everything, so everything is yoga, everything's yoga, everything's energy, everything's vibration. And, um, you know, when people are like, Oh, that's so woo woo. It's like, well, okay, here, yeah. here we go. Let's talk to a scientist. And um, it I've talked to a lot of scientists and they say, yep, actually, this is what the science shows. Yep. My my my, my fiancé,
1: he's a physicist and works with photonics and well, engineering and photonics. That's his main thing. And I always laugh because I am the yoga teacher where I'm like, oh, light and the way that light is... And he actually knows the physics of light. Yeah. So we always laugh. he's like, what type of light are you bringing into your body, Tendai? As you talk about I'm bringing the light in. <laughs> so we always have those arguments about what is light and how, how can you find the light within yoga? And I still haven't been able to answer that question. So if there are any, if you know any physicists that I can talk to who can help me break down or any yoga teachers that can help me break down the light that we talk about in yoga for his very scientific brain, I'll be very happy.
0: Yeah. Well, there is actually a yoga teacher and nuclear physicist in Trondheim, Anne uh, DeVezmez. Yes! Yeah. She, she's she been on the podcast, actually. And she um, uh, is in the middle of – she's going to open up another studio. She's just looking for space right now. Uh, yeah. So she's one of the people who absolutely – you should talk to. <laughs>
1: I love her. I'm already, I'm already there. I'm yeah. already going to be calling her after, after this podcast yeah. and getting the details.
0: So I want to take it back though to in Zimbabwe. And so you were working with bringing the yoga and meditation into these children homes and collaborating with your mother to bring in the massage. What, what was that experience like?
1: very fulfilling but more so it makes you think more about human flourishing and also the well-being of children as i said earlier um, trauma with these children began in the occurred in the dependency or informative stages of their life so many of these children have been abandoned sexually abused found in the sides of the roads where um abused in all areas of their lives and if this happened between the ages of one and six seven you are dealing with children that now have to get hold of that trauma and move forward which then we see it as an impediment but i wanted to change it around and say but what happens if these children have actually gotten more survival they have seen more enlightenment with their struggle And they're able to teach us more in the way that we listen and the way that we deal with compassion with talking to kids. Children don't grow up. I believe our bodies get bigger, but our hearts get torn up. And every single time I talk to these children or whenever we're doing a yoga practice, I always walk away feeling like I learned more. Mm -hmm. And I can't help it. It's that I always walk away feeling more compassionate, much kinder, and much more ready to, to lend a listening ear or a helping hand. Because when somebody has hit a stage in trauma, how do you come back from that? How do you heal? We talk about peeling back the layers within yoga, but when you're dealing with children that have had to build up those layers so much just to survive, how then do they find their source? How then are they even supposed to find out who they are without if something like this happened in the beginning? So I believe that we are able to bring in an idea of self-actualization. Um, the trauma that we see has, imped- has had an effect on their nervous system, which brings about anxiety, loss of identity, bedwetting, depression, nightmares. Uh, mental issues with the children however when now you bring in yoga into that and when you bring in massage it brings in a sense of intimacy and what I've noticed is that the children tend to remember things better they can now talk about the traumas that they have been through and they're able to give more information to the social workers and the staff members there is more emotion that they can feel When you go through a trauma, especially in the informative stages, you can't differentiate between um, how to love. And I'm not talking about this in a very woo-woo sense. I'm saying that this one time I asked the kids, how do you show love to, how do you show somebody that you love them? And one of the girls raised her hand and she said, you you have to sleep with them. And this is a six-year-old girl. Hmm. So with. What do you do in stages like that? It's not just about, oh, you're teaching somebody how to love, but you're also saying, okay, you're going to now exercise. Okay, we're now coming into our yoga practice. And it feels so good because you can see children laughing. You are now seeing them become children again. You are now seeing them talk about what namaste means. Hmm. You're seeing that they're excited to come into a class where They're able to show off their flexibility, but then also sit still for four minutes. And even sitting still for four minutes, that did not happen in the first couple of sessions. The first sessions, it was hard to even get silence for 10 seconds. But now, after many yoga yoga classes and meditation sessions, there's less bedwetting. We're able to stay in, in different poses for longer periods of time. They're much calmer. And even the staff are saying that the children are able to communicate better with them, that they're able to communicate their lives and what they would like for their lives. It's like now they're able to dream bigger. And mm-hmm. I want to explore that into how does yoga and wellness help and how, not help, that's too much of a, that's such a cliche, but how can yoga and wellness improve human flourishing within a children's home because these children are all together. They're not there because they want to be there. It's a trickle-down effect and a consequence of a bad economy. Mm. So how can we make now an oasis based on yogic philosophy? Even when it comes into the eating, um, bringing in um, sections within their lives where they are able to practice um, restraints and even withdrawals or understanding just that they, that there's a structure to their lives. I truly believe that by doing posture and breathing techniques and focus concentration or even your moral disciplines within the structure of a children's home, we're able to transform a children's home into an oasis. And actually give them the life that they they deserve from the start.
0: Yeah, I think that's so amazing and really inspirational. Um, so I know you're going to go back. Uh, the the life of living an international uh, existence, uh, visas, always a problem, paperwork. Yeah, yep. <laughs> uh, paperwork and visas. Yeah, oh man, um, things many people don't know. Um, you're going to go back to Zimbabwe five or six months while you're waiting for your final visa to be processed. And while you're there, the main a lot of the focus of your time will be working with these children in the children's homes. Can you tell us just a little bit about what your mission is? My mission is to do a case study and, and collect
1: a lot of data on how yoga and massage and general well-being has been within the within the children's home it's called emerald hill children's home and they do have a brilliant website that you may keep up with activities within the home um so i'll do a case study on the consequences of yoga and wellness and massage how it helps and and then do a proposal as to how we've been able to improve the home and actually put it into practice it's one thing um, having um putting down a program, which is what I have done. I have been teaching at the home for 24 months. That's two years, actually, yeah. I've been teaching at the home for two years where I implemented a self-love yoga program with the staff and the children. The goal is to first find out the information about the staff members. How are the staff members able to bring a more yogic and yogic approach to how they work with the children? Um, more compassionate approach. Um, so I work with the staff once a week already. Um, when I was back home, we would have staff sessions weekly and they love them. And I also do children's sessions weekly as well. Now it is about collecting data and going bigger. And hopefully from this, we are able to implement it into other children's homes and get a sense of well-being in children's homes and not a sense of doom and gloom, and not focusing on the trauma, but focusing on healing. That is the mission. How can we focus on healing and not the trauma? Hmm.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, good luck. I, I wish you the best with that. And we'll be excited to hear your updates and everything that transpires while you're doing that. And then Bringing it back to Norway, too. Um, Oh, exactly. I'm going to be bringing it back here. And Jessica, I'm definitely going to be having you in the loop
1: all the time. I think we will need to be um, on Skype when I'm in Zimbabwe. Yes. Because I know that I will need your assistance. Because this is also through my company, which is African Beauty Factory. And to this day, I had always wondered, why did they choose the name African Beauty Factory? And I believe that Africa has always been the birthplace of not the birth, actually, yes, let's say that. Africa has always been the birthplace of wellness and compassion and unu and hunu, a way of being. And I want that to come through. I believe that I can bring, I believe that we can have a more sense, sense of African spirituality and a sense of not running away from yoga because we think that it has only come from India or the West or that we are meditating bad spirits into us. Hmm. I believe the ethos and the parameter that is used to qualify, um, a person would be so beautiful in, um, in terms of yoga and wellness and compassion, more compassion. So yeah, that's what I'm going to, I know that took a while, but <laughs> that's what I'm going to be doing with, um, Emerald Hill Children's Home is an innovative way to use yoga and wellness as a tool for social development.
0: So cool. Yeah. Oh, well, our time has come to an end, um, but I know, I know it was so great to talk with you and yeah. And you'll be back in Norway before you know it. And yes, yes, and then we'll be collaborating. And, um, so we'll have, we'll have news coming up. So I'm really excited to see, um, how that takes shape and form. And I know, um, you're just going to be a huge asset to the Norwegian yoga community and, um, bringing your wisdom and your, your experiences is something that's so valuable and so needed. I think as the yoga community in Norway grows, having different perspectives is really important. Um, in my opinion, to seeing, seeing so, a different way. Yeah. And your enthusiasm is, uh, so lovely. <laughs> thank you so much for having
1: me, Jessica. A, it's everything is in alignment, and I can feel it, and I accept it, and I bring it even further. I am so excited to be with you and to be a part of Atman. Yay, I'm me too! Myself Atman. I'm so happy. Yes. I'm so excited. Yes. And I'm me excited in that, I, I've told Jessica this, but I want the listeners to hear this: that this is a big, big deal for me because I got a tattoo last year not even knowing anything obviously not knowing anything that's gonna happen and it just so happened that I got the same logo that Atman has yes yes and then I got engaged this year and then was looking at yoga schools and Atman came up and I was like oh I'm in alignment I'm in flow so this is major and amazing Amazing. yes thank you so much
0: You're so welcome, and have an awesome day, and everybody listening, you have a great day, too. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.